Welcome, everyone, to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. I'm pleased to be joined by Trevor Bassett. He was a former runner for Ashland University, Division II school. Uh, but more importantly, this summer in July, we've got a champion in front of us here <laughs> at the World Athletics Championships in Eugene, in Oregon, an unbelievable track and field meet that was on NBC. There were world records, just an unbelievable event. Trevor, you won bronze in the 400 hurdles and gold as the anchor for Team USA's men's 4x400 relay team. Uh, you've had a few weeks to re reflect back on that overall experience. What was it like? It was unbelievable. I mean, it was a dream come true ever since high school. It's been a dream of mine to represent Team USA on a global stage. And for it to be the first world championships held in the United States is incredible. It was the first time, who knows how long it'll be before it's there again. The atmosphere of the crowd was unbelievable. And then to, on top of it, we set the record for most medals won at the meet and in history and most points scored. So to be able to say I was a contributing member of the best track and field team in world history is an incredible honor. Yeah, for the men and the women. I mean, it was a banner uh, week uh, in all aspects of track and field for Team USA. Uh, first off, I got to ask you, I, I have been to the University of Oregon many times, but I've not been to the new track and field facility. It looks amazing. I mean, it looks like, you know, something that, uh, uh, you know, from a future generation, it just looks amazing. What, what was it like to sort of be in that facility that not only potentially could host future world championships, but is clearly a shining star for NCAA track and field championships. Yeah, I mean, I've the world championships were my third time racing in that stadium, and every time you go there, it's it's breathtaking because you walk in and just the structure of the facility, it feels gigantic. It feels like what I imagine an NFL stadium feels like, especially for track and field. I mean, it seats up to seventeen thousand. It has the high rises going kind of up over, similar to like a dome structure. And it just has a way to keep sound in and make it seem louder. So the, the facility's world-class. I know Phil Knight and Nike spent a ton of money on it and they took their time and made sure they did it right. And you could see the result from the world championships and all the NCAA championships they posted. Yeah, I think it's critical in building, you know, a, a renewed fan base for track and field. Uh, as you said, hold 17,000. You could tell the crowds were engaged. You know, the ratings were good. I mean, I thought NBC did a great job. Uh, how much do you think that event could really springboard, uh, you know, for future track and field championships in this country? And I really believe for the NCAA, uh, for when they are televised, especially coming from a facility like that. Oh, I think it does phenomenal. I mean, you have, this was the first time since, I mean, the Olympics when they were in Atlanta, that we've had a global championship in track and field at the United States. And for the crowd to be the way they were, the atmosphere being incredible, all the fast times, it's, it was showed the Hayward magic that everyone in the United States experienced. Everyone from the world got to experience it. And it was a great way to kind of engage new track fans, casual track fans, because that's the main issue we have as a sport is it's hard to get new fans in because every there's all these metrics and these times that it's hard for people to relate to. And I think the world championships kind of helped buffer that gap a little bit more. 
All right, so let's talk about your events. Um, first off, uh, the men's four by 400. Uh, I am sure incredibly competitive to get one of those four spots, obviously. But uh, how, 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 what was the path and journey to being one of the four, especially being the anchor? Yeah, I mean, I was not expected to be on it. I wasn't in the relay pool. I ran the 400 hurdles the last day. The final was the 19th. My plane ticket was to leave the 21st. And the four by four was the 23rd. And I told the team, or I told the coach, I'm like, hey, like, I know you guys might be considering me for the four by four. You need to let me know soon because I got to check in for my flight in a couple of days. And they told me to change my flights. And I found out the night before that they're like, hey, you're going to be on the four by four and we're going to have you anchor. And I mean, being on a relay for the United States is incredible. We, I can't, I couldn't tell you the last time Team USA lost an outdoor championship four by four, whether it was the Olympics or world championships. So to have that kind of history of being the best four by four team in the world and to be selected to be on it and to anchor is, it was unbelievable. It's a dream come true. And running a relay is always more fun. You have teammates with you. You're relying on each other. It's just getting to stick around and run fast. So Trevor, the expectation you just mentioned um, is gold and to win and maybe potentially set a world record. So when you are the anchor, the finisher, what, what's that pressure like knowing that potentially if there is not a big enough lead, it could come down to you? I mean, I look forward to it. Pressure is a privilege. And if you're feeling pressure means you're doing something right. And I knew going into the race that I have three studs running the four by four with me and they're going to put me in a spot to be successful. And if the lead's not that big or the lead's not there, I'm confident in my ability to cross that line first. Like I'm willing to fight, scratch, claw, die on the track if I have to, to try to get that win. And I knew it likely wasn't going to come down to that because I trusted my teammates and that they'd take care of their job and I'd take care of mine. And that's what happened. That's how it worked out. I got to ask though, I mean, you're talking about a team here and every, literally every second counts. Um, how much practice, if any, did you have on the handoff? Um, I had, I did one relay practice before, and then we did some handoffs in the warm-up area. So not a ton, but the four by four is not as, not as technical or as close as say the four by one. Cause the four by one, there's steps, certain time you take off blind exchanges, the four by four, you just kind of gauge it where they're at, take off, open handoff, get it and go. And I've ran more four by fours than I can count on for, since college. So I felt really comfortable. Even if I had no practices, I felt like I'd be able to get the job done. And how about your hurdles? You won bronze. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, going into that race, I, Every race I go into, I feel like I'm going to win. And going into the final, I felt like if I executed the race, I could have won. Obviously, I didn't. I got third. But knowing that the 400 hurdles has literally never been faster in world history and to be able to be on the podium with Allison Dos Santos and Rod Benjamin is incredible. And everyone talks about the big three of Allison Dos Santos, Rod Benjamin, Carson Barholm. So be able to get a medal and kind of introduce myself to the world as like, hey, there's more than three guys. We got to at least talk about four now is incredible. And it's everything I wanted to happen going into the meet. So you ran at Ashland, highly decorated 
uh, during your NCAA career. Uh, and this is a great example that you don't have to be at a high profile D1 school to be successful in your sport. Um, what was it about running at Ashland that helped prepare you for these moments? I think it really allowed me to grow. I mean, going to a small D2 school like Ashland, I was given the time to develop and take my own path and my own journey where that might not necessarily be the case at a D1 school. You go to a big D1 school, they might expect you to perform right away at a national level. And then if you don't, they might move to the next person. Ashland is really about developing people. There's a culture of hard work and a family atmosphere where we rely on each other. We use each other to grow. And that really helped me having my coaches believing in me and that I could get to this level helped a ton. And I really just got to focus on myself and my teammates and develop at my own pace. I wasn't a world-class hurdler my freshman year or my sophomore year, or even my junior year, but the big jump was going into my senior year and then my fifth year. And if I would have gone to say a big power five school, I might not have had the luxury to develop at that rate. How much when you get to a world championship level, um, is there a little bit, you know, maybe a small bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of a chip, you know, Hey, I don't have that power five school behind me, but you know what? I got a chance to win gold medal in some form and represent division two and get on that podium. I'll be honest with you. I've always had a chip on my shoulder. I mean, coming out of high school, I was a two-time state champion. I graduated with small town, 80 kids. A bunch of D1 schools didn't want me or they only wanted me to walk on as a multi because they felt like I wasn't fast enough to be an open sprinter hurdler. Going to a D2 school, not really getting the national recognition I felt like I deserved because I was producing world-class times. And then being unsponsored, going into USAs and world championships. It's just been a constant theme of me having a chip on my shoulder, betting on myself, and really coming out on the, good, on the good side of the outcome, which I've been blessed and thankful to do. So going into the world championships, yeah, I had a big chip on my shoulder of being the D2 guy, being unsponsored. And then not just that, everyone talking about the big three. I remember the TV broadcast after the first round, the NBC commentator said everyone else is racing for fourth. They said there's Dos Santos, Varholm, and Benjamin, and everyone else is racing for fourth, which I understand them saying based on time. I didn't take personal offense to it or anything, but it's definitely something that motivates and adds that chip to my shoulder. What do you, what do you remember most about um, your Ashland experience outside of that development you mentioned earlier? The people. I mean, Ashland, the people, my teammates. It's a lot of teams talk about a family atmosphere, but Ashland really means it. I mean, I was best man at one of my teammates' weddings. He's going to be the best man in my wedding. Pretty much all my groomsmen are Ashland track and field people. So you really learn to be, to be family and to use each other and work hard with each other. I mean, my first four years, our indoor facility was a 147-meter bank track from the 60s that was really awful, but we didn't care. We showed up, went to work. And there's something about that going through hard times together really helps you grow a special bond. And then you're to run fast when you're running for more than just yourself, you're running for your teammates. 
And what would be your advice to high school seniors like yourself who get passed over, uh, who ultimately will go D2 or D3 uh, and, and think that, you know, you know, is that my ceiling or her ceiling that, you know, what, what can happen beyond that just because you go to a D2 or D3? Yeah, the thing I'd say to people that get passed over for D1 schools, you go to a smaller D1 or D2, D3, NAI is good. I mean, good, they passed you over. That means they're not looking at you. That means you have the chance to prove some people wrong and prove yourself right. So you just take it one day at a time and you just work to develop. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. A lot of people see me, saw I did at Worlds, and they consider me an overnight success that I came out of nowhere. But in reality, this has been five years of hard work, five years of showing up every day, grit and spit, leaving it all on the track and in the weight room. So if you get passed over, good. That gives you the chance to work on yourself, really find the right spot for you. Because if D1 schools would have wanted me, I probably would have gone to a bigger D1 school and I probably wouldn't have the success I have now. So every, I truly believe everything happens for a reason. And as long as you can make the decision for yourself to choose the right place, not the popular place, obviously it feels really good to post you're getting these D1 schools or you committed to this Big 10 or SEC school. But a lot of times it's not the right fit. So just make sure that you choose the right fit for you and you work hard and good things are going to happen. All right, Trevor, uh, Paris 24. Where are we going to see you? You're, you're going to see me in Paris with a red, white, and blue on. Love it. Love the optimism. You've certainly earned it to this point. There's no reason to doubt you now. Uh, Trevor, uh, really appreciate it. Congratulations on an amazing our World uh, Athletics Championship meet last month in Eugene, Oregon, and more great things to come. Appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And you can hear more great stories like those from Trevor uh, throughout the course of our year and years here on our NCAA social series. We'll continue every week on these NCAA social media channels. Go to NCAA.org slash social series where all our social series are archived. Thanks for watching everyone.